and welcome to episode zero of Strung Out, of Island Maker's Vlogcast. I figure I'd do a little uh, pre-series episode to just briefly touch on some of the terminology I'll be using in upcoming episodes, and also just discuss, at least lightly, my own journey into violin making. Um, the violin and its history are fairly hotly debated. Um, there's one school of thought that it's a natural evolution of the, of the French VL, uh, which is a violin-shaped instrument, usually slightly smaller, which often had three strings instead of the violin's four. And then the other school of thought is that it's a natural evolution of the Italian lira de braccio, which is about the same size as the modern violin, but somewhat cruder in construction. The uh, waist wasn't as defined, there wasn't as delicate a fluting, and it was more or less the poor man's violin. Um, depending on which school of thought you subscribe to, it was invented by either Zanetta Michelli, who uh, really mastered the art of VL making, or Gaspar de Salo, who really mastered the art of Lira de Braccio making. Um, in either case, about five years after that, Andrea Amati stepped in and really brought the violin into fruition as it exists today. He was the first violin maker to set up shop in Cremona, Italy, which remains the hub of violin making worldwide, and he's the one who really brought the 14-ish inch back and uh, four strings to the violin world as a whole. In terms of my own history in violin making, it's not nearly as long. Uh, I haven't been at it, you know, 500 years. It's been almost four years for me now. Um, I started originally as an electric guitar maker. I still do that quite often. Uh, occasionally acoustic guitars, but fairly seldom. Um, and I decided I just wanted to sort of branch out and try new things and keep myself sort of challenged. So I went, I'm going to build a violin. So I did, you know, hours and hours of research online and in books and in library watching videos. And I sort of set out to build one. And the first uh, one was absolute trash. I converted it very quickly to firewood. But the second one was somewhat better. And the third one was somewhat better than that. So I decided I would go to the World Lutheran Society convention in New York City nine months after finishing my first violin and bring a violin or two with me. Um, I didn't realize it was a competition, actually. I thought it was a convention, and it was. And they had little workshops and lessons and things, and I, I gained a great deal of knowledge from that. But I didn't realize that it was a competition and that if you brought violins, they were automatically in the competition. So nine months after building my first violin, I brought violins four and five with me, and I won the Rising Star Award, which was Best Violin Maker Under 35, which is not an accomplishment by any substantial means. You know, most of us are in our 50s, 60s, or 70s. Um, I also got third place for Best Varnish, which is actually a recipe I've been using for quite a while on acoustic guitars. <clears throat> um, Five months after that, 14 months into my journey of violin making, I attended the American Violin Society convention in Michigan, and that was with violins five, six, and seven. So one of the violins actually appeared at both conventions. And for that, I won second place for tone, which is this trophy here, and I got the second place certificate of merit for craftsmanship. So that's fifth place overall. Place one, two, and three win actual trophies. And then Certificates of Merit, which is uh, four, five, and six, win this little metal thing. These are the two awards I took home from uh, 
World Literary Society in 2017. Now, I'm heading to another convention, actually, at the end of this month, which is going to be the subject of uh, episode two of this. And, yeah, that's exciting. That's terrifying. Uh, I think I'm going to recap some of the terms I'm going to be using in upcoming episodes. So you've got luthier, first of all, or luthier if you're an American. And that's someone that makes and repairs string instruments. Um, I'm also an archetier, which is someone who makes and repairs the bows for string instruments. Uh, dendrology is the science of wood. So it's um, investigating the physical and chemical properties of lumber. Ethnomusicology is music and musical instruments as they pertain to certain subsects of ethnic groups or cultures. Luthery is the art of being a luthier, so the art of violin making or uh, repair. Cremona, as I mentioned, is the city that is the hub of the violin making world. In the white is the term for unfinished violin, so all the woodwork is done or essentially done, but there's no ground coat or varnish yet. Ground coat, or sealer coat, or base coat, is the first wash coat they use to seal the grain on the wood before you actually apply the layers of varnish. Varnish, uh, of any good quality violin at least, should be a handmade oil varnish, which is essentially an assortment of resins melted down and cooked into an oil base. Uh, often that oil base is linseed oil. I use a combination of linseed oil and walnut oil. Um, because it's a derivative oil and it's <clears throat> a thoroughly cooked oil, it actually doesn't trigger any nut allergies. So it's not too much of a concern for anyone with um, mild, moderate nut allergies. If you're incredibly severely allergic, you might be a little wary of licking the violin. But I think that's something that should be avoided in general. Let's go over some of the parts of the violin quickly, and then we'll just wrap up this little mini-episode. So, holding a violin upright. So, the skinny parts at the top, the fat parts at the bottom. The very top end of it, you've got the scroll. It's a little uh, snail shell shaped thing. And that is a part of the peg box, which includes the back wall and the side wall through which the pegs pass. Um, this is all the same piece of wood as the neck, which is basically what it sounds like. It's the little skinny piece of wood that connects the body of the violin to the head of the violin, which is another name for the peg box as a whole. Attached to the neck is a fingerboard made out of ebony that should have a scooped end and it should taper from narrowest at the top to widest at the bottom. At the very, very top end of this fingerboard, there's another separate little piece of ebony, sometimes ivory in the case of certain instruments by um, French and, and English violin makers, and also the uh, Canoni Guarnerius by Guarneri de, de Gesù. Um, but usually it's ebony. It's just this little piece that's got slots in it <clears throat> through which the strings pass. So the string ends are inserted into the pegs, which should be done for making all the major adjustments to tuning. They pass down over the slots in the nut, skim above the fingerboard, and pass over the bridge. The bridge is this little piece of maple that's uh, perpendicular to the top of the violin, and it's what holds the strings up and keeps them at tension. And then <clears throat> strings pass over that and into the tailpiece, which is this little tapered wedge-shaped piece of wood at the bottom. Uh, this can be made of almost any wood. Uh, a lot of people use ebony. I'm a big fan of sandalwood, uh, Pernambuco, or like, European boxwood. This one's boxwood. And into the holes, and usually the E-string has a fine tuner. Fine tuner is a little metal screw that passes into a lever, which allows you to make micro-adjustments to the tuning. Uh, in this case, this violin also has a chin rest already affixed. The chin rest is actually a fairly modern invention. Uh, it didn't really come into popularity until about the 1860s. 
Um, this particular one is a flesh style chin rest, and this one's made out of sandalwood. And it's just to cradle the violin between your chin and your shoulder. Um, the violin back and sides and neck are all made of maple. Uh, in this case, uh, I prefer maple from the Carpathian Mountains in Romania, just because growing at altitude, there's less of a temperature change between seasons, so the grain's a lot more even. And the grain is going to run top to bottom, and you got figuring running through, which is this sort of tiger stripe effect, and it shifts slightly as you tilt the violin. Um, that's the figure. On the front, or the top, it's spruce. Um, you can use spruce from almost anywhere. It's pretty consistent as long as you know what you're looking for. Um, this particular spruce is from the Fiemme Valley, and again, the grain runs up and down with a little tiny bit of figuring. Um, this is basically a little tiny, I guess, flex running through the figure. Um, and that's basically one of the major indicators of a good quality spruce. Now the backs can be made of one piece of maple, like this, where there's no center seam, it's all just one piece. Or two pieces of maple, like this one, where there is indeed a center seam. It doesn't matter too much in terms of tone, it's just a lot of players happen for a one-piece back. Because it looks prettier and it's actually slightly harder to make. So the thing of one-piece back is some sort of a testament to the, I guess, talents of the violin maker. <clears throat> Now inside the violin, you can probably just barely see this. There's a sound post right here. That's a little dowel of spruce that runs up and down connecting the top plate to the back plate. On the other side, running here at an angle, is the bass bar. That's another piece of spruce that basically stabilizes the top and prevents it from becoming too flubbery, which will give you sort of a muted, mellow, unpleasant sound. What else have we got that's important? I suppose the tailpiece and the tail gut, which is a little piece of nylon usually, that connects the tailpiece to the end pin, which is a pin that's inserted at the bottom of the violin through the ribs, which is the side pieces here, in order to keep the tailpiece in place. There's this little centerpiece here that scoops in in the shape of a C. That's called the C bout. The bout above that, or the curvy piece above that, is known as the upper bout, and the bottom piece is a lower bout. Usually, the lower bout will be two pieces with a big center seam running through where the end pin is. Uh, for all my one-piece back violins, I also have a one-piece lower rib. Um, speaking of, actually, the lower rib, there's a little piece of ebony inserted into the top plate of the violin. That's known as either the saddle or lower nut, which is sort of uh, fulfills the same purpose, more or less, as the, the nut. So those are, I think, all of the key or, or fundamental pieces of a violin. Um, I'm going to get more into things as episodes progress. The first episode is What Can You Do? Which is uh, sort of minor, minor violin repairs and maintenance that you do not need a luthier for, no matter what they tell you. And episode two is going to be The Unconventional Convention, which I'm going to reveal the results of the convention I attended and also show a few little snippets and audio clips from it. So I'm looking very much forward to that, and I'm thanking you right now for joining me for episode zero, which has been sort of a rambling, uncomfortable affair.